morning. Uh, my name is Jeep Underwood, and I'm going to be continuing a message series that we started last week called Convinced. And uh, basically what we're going to be looking at today is charting the course. Um, you know, how do you become convinced of the right things over time so that your life really turns out well? Uh, last week we looked at the life of William Wilberforce and the impact that he had with his life in abolishing the slave trade in the entire British Empire. And we, we looked, what we looked at is there, there were four things, four foundational things that he'd become really convinced of that really led to that outcome. Uh, one of the things he became convinced of is that God is real and is communicating to us through the scriptures. Uh, another thing was that God really cares and that he really desires to teach and train us so that our lives really turn out well. Another thing he became convinced of was that God has a mission for each one of us and that he has for which he's really uniquely placed us and designed us. And then he also became convinced that, that God was really in control of everything. Now, these things weren't true because he was convinced of them. But things, these things were just true about reality. And when he became convinced of them, they led together and they uh, produced the effect of him having a real impact in the world around him. We also looked real quickly at uh, a letter that Paul the Apostle Paul had written to Timothy. And we, when we saw that, that really getting to know God and learning from him through the scriptures uh, were really foundational and really figuring out like what to be convinced of, what really, how life really works and have your life turn out well. Walking with God is really an experience of, dis, of being convinced of things over time. So you learn things, you put them into practice, you see how it turns out, and you become more convinced that that's really the way life works. And that's really kind of the experience you have. Now, the things that we're personally convinced about, they're the things that we personally believe can be trusted. So when you're thinking about the things you're convinced of, it's the things that you really believe can be trusted. And we really can't trust something we're not convinced of. You can't trust something that you're just not really sure of. And I, I think that's why sometimes um, the advice that someone might give you that says, you know, you need to trust God. If you haven't come to the place where you become convinced that God really is trustworthy, that's really hard advice to take because you just don't really have much experience with God, so it's hard to trust him. Now, the truth is this. The truth is this. We're all convinced people. All of us are completely convinced of the things we're convinced about, and we really believe it. And the kind of the bittersweet part of that is there's some things we're convinced of that are really true. And there's some things we're convinced of that aren't true. And the reason that matters is that the things that you're convinced of, they really, they're the things that really guide the way you act. So you always act in line of and you live the way and in accordance with the things that you're really convinced of. And the, thing, the way you live really determines the way th- things turn out for you. So it's really, it makes a big difference if you're convinced of the right things or not. And the problem is that when we're convinced of things that are wrong, we, we, we have bad outcomes in our lives. And all of us, all of us right now are, they're facing different hardships and different things in our lives that are the result of something that we were convinced of that wasn't true. Now, uh, you can actually, um, well, first I'll say this. One, one big part that leads to this problem is that reality is really unyielding. It doesn't change based on what you think of it or how you think life works. Life really does work a certain way, and it doesn't yield for the way you think it works. 
And what you can also use this, this reality of, the, of this progression of what you're convinced of leads to how you act, which leads to the results you're having. You can work that backwards and you can figure out what are some of the things you're convinced of. Like for me, I can think of one thing I can... About 10, 12 years ago, God began to really work with me on my finances. And I just had gotten myself into uh, just a bit of a hole that I'm, I'm just about out of now. And it became, I became, I, as I worked, worked that backwards, I became, I realized that I had become convinced that I, if, if I were to put down what it is I was convinced of, I was convinced that if I made enough money, I didn't have to handle my finances very well. Because, hey, if you make enough money, it kind of just washes through and everything turns out okay. I was wrong. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear about that, I can definitely tell you several things that God has taught me over the, the last years. And you can really find out what it is you're wrong. But these things that we believe that, that are wrong really do have an impact on how things turn out. Now, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you could just decide how you're going to live and then go ahead and live that way and then see how it all turns out and go, that was not good. And then rewind the tape, go back in time, and try it some other way. That would just be great if you could do that. Unfortunately, you can't. We have to live life frontwards. So no matter what we choose and how we choose to live, we show up somewhere. So we make decisions, we live our life in a certain way, and we have outcomes and we show up somewhere. And we have to go from there to the next place we go to. So we, always, we, we, we don't really get the luxury of trying things out and then going back and changing them if we don't like them. And with that... What that means is that it really is kind of a stressful environment that we live in, kind of a stressful, high-stakes environment that we're deciding things in and we're trying to figure, figure life out in. And the, the big question that just really comes to your heart and your mind is, well, then how do we figure this out? How do we figure out what to do? You know, you know the people that decide who to marry are people who have never been married before. You know, you're, you, you've never done this before, and here you are trying to figure out how to do that. There's so many things in life where there are brand new things that are coming at you. You have to figure out. So, like, how do you figure this out? I want to tell you just a quick story. Um, several years ago, uh, there was a bunch of guys um, at uh, Christian Challenge at USC. We, we, we rebuilt the floor in one of uh, Neil Walker's bedrooms. It was the bedroom for his son, Samuel. And whoever had built this floor had missed their calling in life. Um, they would have been a good trampoline designer, uh, but they're really a bad floor designer. So, I mean, you walk across this floor, you'd start bouncing. And it, I mean, it didn't matter how big, how small, you bounced. But if you match the resonant frequency of that floor, you almost could hit your ceiling, head on the ceiling. So you want to really watch how fast you went across that floor. And so we decided we were going to fix that. So we, we demolished that whole thing. We tore it all out. And because, you know, I have a background in construction, you know, I, I, uh, I just came up with uh, the layout for the stringers in the floor, and then we came up with the joists, the joist, and how they were going to be laid out. We just and I figured out what kind of subflooring we needed to have. I got some of the tools we needed. We, made, we and, uh, just gave the tool list, and uh, Neil got a lot of the tools we needed. He got the materials that we needed, and then a bunch of us guys went in there and we just started going to work. And so I was. I remember one of the days I was out there and I was using a skill saw and cutting one of the stringers to the right length. And the guy, uh, one of the guys came up to me and he goes, Jeep, how in the world did you learn how to do all this stuff? 
And I really thought about that. I, I can't remember exactly how I answered this question, but I really thought about it. And you know, it's really not how did I learn all this stuff. It's really who. Because the reason I know how to do all that is because of my dad. My dad is a builder. My dad is a builder. And from the time I was a little boy to the time I was about 25 years old, I worked with him every summer, 40 hours a week. I'd go to the work. You know, I wasn't worth much when I was eight. <laughs> you know, I was a very good sweeper. Um, in fact, I had that nailed. You know, uh, so I, you know, I kind of was there as a helper. And then as I got older, I began to learn, like, how you actually, how you build. The reason I did is because that's what my dad did. Because I spent time with my dad and I lived with him, I learned how to build houses. And by the time I was 25, uh, I would consider myself very close to a journeyman car- uh, carpenter. It was really that involvement with my dad and getting to know him and the way he worked that really taught me those things. That really is the way God operates as well. And that really is the invitation that, that God has for us. In fact, I want to look at, I want to start off looking at uh, something that Jesus said, an invitation that Jesus had in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And he said this, he was talking to a crowd and He meant this for the crowd, but he also means it to every one of us today. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's at least three invitations that are in there, and I just want to go through them. There's really one thing you see there is an invitation to really know Jesus and really know what he's like. He says, come to me. Come to me. He's, he's really an offer of just a close relationship with him where you can really understand who he is and what he's like and how he handles things. And when he's in a tight spot, what is it that he does? You can really learn from just walking with him in your daily life with him. And he also said, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I think one of the, I think one of the reasons Jesus said that was, I think he was trying to communicate that he's approachable. He's approachable. I mean, you're talking about going to the God of the universe. And if he wasn't gentle and he was harsh with you, that would, that would be something you're like, well, I don't really want to talk to him because, you know, he'll probably get mad at me. But he says, you know what, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. There's something about, if, if he, there's, it takes humility to teach somebody something else. To teach somebody something. And, he has a heart of humility. And when you go to him, he jumps right alongside you and he says, you know what, I know what that feels like. I've been here. And it really does make a difference. It's a real offer from him. Also, there, there's an invitation there to really learn from him. He's, he said, learn from me. Learn from me. He's really calling us to be his disciples. Which really, that word disciple in, in, the, in the Greek just means to be a learner. He just calls us to be a disciple, to be a learner. And as his disciple, really what we're, really what we're learning is uh, we're really trying to learn from Jesus how to lead your life as he would lead your life if he were you. So if you were to, uh, let's say you're facing something like, well, you know what, there's a team member on your team that's not really pulling for the team. He kind of has his own agenda. Well, how would, how would Jesus handle something like that? Well, you can spend time in the Scriptures and you actually give him some insight of how Jesus would handle that. 
What if there was something facing you that was going to be very hard and you felt like you wanted to bail? How would Jesus handle something like that? Well, if you got to know Jesus and you spent time in the Scriptures, you actually could pick up on how Jesus would handle a situation like that. It gives you real insight as to how you would handle a situation like that. Now, for this to happen, for us to learn from Jesus, we really have to have the heart of a learner. To really have the heart of a learner. I want to look, there's a passage in Psalm 25. It's actually a prayer from David, King David, uh, in the Old Testament. And he says this. He says, he's praying to God and he says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. That's really the heart of someone who can be taught. Uh, There's in his son, actually King Solomon, in Proverbs 25.12 says, he actually, he's talking about things that are really beautiful. And one of the things he pulls out, he says, a wise reprover to a listening ear. He said, now when you see that, that's really beautiful. You get someone, in this case it would be Jesus, who really understands how things work. And you have a listening ear. He said, that's really a beautiful thing. When, when a heart of teachability, when someone who's really able to be taught connects with the learning from Jesus, your life really changes. And God really has the ability to really impact your life. Now, teachability is simply this. <clears throat> teachability is simply a desire that the things you're convinced of would line up with the way life really works so that you have good outcomes in your life. It's, teachability is just simply that um, the things that you're convinced of would line up with reality so that you have good outcomes. So it's like this desire for good outcomes makes you really want to learn from him. Now, what this practically would look like is, you know what, just spending daily time with Jesus, getting into the scriptures, really listening to him and learning from him, and taking the things that you're learning and really put them into practice. And then watch how things turn out. And when you watch how things turn out, you go, man, that, that turned out better than I ever expected. And then you, you, get, you become kind of convinced that, that I think that is the way life works. And then you come up against a similar situation again and you put it into practice again, this time with a little more confidence. And it turns out well. And over time, you become more and more convinced that this is really the way life works. And it begins to really guide the decisions that you make. And your life begins to go in a way that really, you really do have an impact in the people, that, the lives around you. Now, as you're, as you're in this process, one thing that God does is to get your attention. When, when, you're, when you're convinced of something that's wrong, kind of like with me and my finances, what God, what God did with me is he put some hardships in my life. I won't go through them right now, uh, but you can uh, talk to me afterwards and I can give you the rest of the story. But... Uh, God put some hardships around my life to really get my attention so that I would pay attention to this thing that was hurting me that, uh, that I had figured out wrong. And what God, I'd like to take a look at Hebrews 12:11. It talks about this, that he calls it discipline. It's really this corrective uh, hardships that God uses in our lives. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When, those, when a hardship is in your life and you, you think, God, what is it you're trying to teach me here? And you begin to connect with the Scriptures, connect with other people who walk with God, and you, understand what it, you begin to understand what it is that God's really working with you on. 
if you allow yourself to be trained by it and change the way you work in that area, you really do begin to have much better outcomes. And you have that, the peaceful fruit of righteousness that he's talking about here. Now, the, the, the next, the third invitation is kind of in this, uh, this verse, uh, this uh, invitation from Jesus is really an invitation to participate with him in what he's doing in the world. An invitation to participate with him with what he's doing in the world. He, he said, take my yoke upon you. Now, I always, this verse, this verse always, uh, I had real confusion with this verse for several years because, you know, I, I would think, God, you know, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn from you. But it doesn't feel, it, I still feel a heavy burden and I still feel, um, like, uh, you know, things are really hard and I'm, I'm not really, I'm not seeing these, you know, the easy yoke and the, and the light burden. And one day when I was, I was thinking through this, I was meditating on this verse and I was thinking of a yoke and I just started thinking about what is a yoke? And I thought, and I thought, well, it's just a, it's a block of wood harness that would hook two oxen together and these two oxen would pull a load and make and, uh, and accomplish the work. And, and when I, when I, as I was thinking of that, there was a picture that came to my mind of, is there was me, and I had all these things that were, you know, weighing on me, my responsibilities, just things that I had to get done, and it was weighing on me, and I was like in this yoke, and I was trying to pull it, and I had this empty spot, and I kept, and I was thinking, in my mind, I don't, I don't think I was thinking this out in uh, my conscious mind, but I had this thought that Jesus was going to jump into my yoke and help me pull my weights. And help me pull my load. And, and then as I was thinking through this verse, it dawned on me that I wasn't looking at this verse very exactly. Because he said, take my yoke upon you. And then I had this other picture that there were things that Jesus was trying to accomplish in the world. And he had a yoke that was around his neck. And he was pulling those things and making those things happen. And there was an empty spot in his yoke. And he was offering it to me. And that was just a totally different picture of what it was I was operating under and I and it really changed the way I looked at this verse and the way I approached my life and I began to get in that yoke with him now one thing that Jesus is really trying to accomplish he's trying to set other he's trying to set men free that's one thing and that's that's a whole nother talk to really describe all the things that Jesus is trying to do but in a nutshell He's trying to make a difference in the lives of people and he's trying to set people free. And when you get in the yoke with him, you're both pulling that direction and things, that's when the easy yoke begins to happen. Now, to kind of give a picture of this, a few years ago, uh, actually two or three years ago, we had to move the grand piano that we owned and we had to move it from the room it was in down two steps into another room so we could have this party and we needed all the room set up. And then I was stressed about this for, for about a week and a half. I was thinking, you know, the day's going to come when I got to move this piano. And Patrick wasn't six uh, one then. And so I was thinking, I can't get my in and I don't know if he can get his in. He's only uh, 12 or 13. And, and then finally Kate said, Jeep, you're going to have to ask people to help you. And so I said, you're, you're right, Kate. I got to ask for help. So I did. And I had six guys show up. Six guys showed up and we walked, we sat, we, we lined up around the piano and, you know, I'm getting all psyched up. I'm just like, okay, I hope I don't uh, break something or hurt something in front of all these guys. So I'm, I'm like, okay, we're ready to go. And I, I grabbed all this piano and we all lifted 
And what happened next was a very confusing thing for me because I picked up, but it, did, it didn't dawn on me that the, the two toughest, tallest guys I knew were on either side of me. And when I picked up, where they hold weight was a lot higher than where I hold weight. And the whole thing went up in the air and I, and I didn't have anything. I had just a little bit and, and then I felt bad. You know, we were all moving it and I'm just kind of walking beside and I thought, I'm not even, I'm not even helping and this is not right. And so I was trying to get under it and try to get some of the weight and we got in there. Before I knew it, the piano was right where it needed to be. And I think that picture is really exactly why the yoke is easy and the burden is light. It isn't that we're not doing much. It's because there's actually what God is trying to accomplish is huge. But it's God pulling and then we're pulling. And so our component of what it takes to move that is very, very small. And that's what the offer is. It's an invitation to join him in what he's doing in the world. I think what we tend to do is we tend to look ahead and we look at all the things that we have to do and the responsibilities we have and the things that are weighing on us. And we take that number of things and that amount of things and we divide it by our capacity to do things. And it turns out to be kind of a big number and that overwhelms us because it's beyond our capacity. And what Jesus is saying here is if we do this together, then what it looks like is you have all the things that are weighing on you, the things that you need to do, the, the responsibilities that you have, and you divide it by God's capacity plus your capacity. Now, God's capacity is a pretty big number. Uh, he can pretty much do anything. So that number resulting is a very small number. And that is really, that's what it's like to walk with him. Even when things are hard and things are, are happening to you, is you have, you, you make progress. And people look at your life and they go, how in the world did you get through that? And you're like, well, actually, let me tell you about this yoke I'm in. You know, I don't, I don't have to pull real hard. God is accomplishing the things that are around me and the things that concern me. And that's what he's offering. And that's why he says in that passage, he says, the result of this, the outcome is that you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. And all you have to do to enter into this is you have to be convinced enough to accept the invitation. You just have to be convinced enough to accept the invitation. And really begin getting to know God. Or maybe you're already on the journey of knowing God and just to stay in there and continue to really pursue Him and learn from Him and put it into practice. Now, this is ama- that's an amazing invitation. So what is it that kind of gets in our way? What are some things or what is something that really can get in our way of really accepting that invitation? I think we can get some real insight from that from Isaiah chapter 30. And... I just want to kind of walk through this just a little bit is this is one of the few times in scripture where it's specifically recorded that God said, write this down so that people in the future can read it. This is one of those few times that that God actually is recorded saying that. And I think it's because God saw something going on in the nation of Israel. Something was going on in the nation of Israel that that he was thinking, now this is really the problem. This is really what I see uh, in the lives of so many people. And I just really want to highlight this so people can really learn from it. 
And it, it starts off with this. I'll walk you through this. In Isaiah uh, 30, verse 18, uh, Isaiah says about God, he says, Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. And the Lord is the God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Now what you see here is you, you see the picture of a longing God who wants to be gracious, who wants to have compassion, but it seems like there's something in the way. Like he's, he's longing for it, he's waiting for it, but what's he waiting for? Well, if you look uh, a few verses earlier, go ahead and go, go to Isaiah 30, verses 8 through 11. This is God talking, and he says this, And now go, write it before them on a tablet, and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, and speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, and let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Over the over a course of a few hundred years, the, the nation of Israel had had really just allowed them as a group to get to the place where they just didn't want to hear what God had to say. And they, they really just wanted to do things their, the way they wanted to do them. And they, they, what they did is they created a real barrier that God honored. And God was just waiting for something before he would really interact and give them and really connect with them the grace that he had. And if you go to the uh, verse 30, 19 through 21, you get kind of a picture of, of what he was waiting for. He says, he, when it says he, it means God. It says, he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when you, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And what, you, what God really wanted to highlight is that, you know, there was, this, there was this problem, this barrier. But what God did is he, he, made, he brought hard things so that they would relent and give up and surrender to him and say, God, we want to go your way. And as soon as he hears that cry saying, God, help me, then what he does is he immediately comes in and helps. Now, I'm a flood control engineer. So I tend to have a lot of flood control illustrations. I apologize for that up front. But back in uh, 2008, actually in 2005, Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans. And for about three years, there were several uh, flood control facilities that were built to protect from another storm surge. And several things were built. Now, three years later, 2008, Hurricane Gustav came through and was on almost the same track. As Katrina, not quite as strong, but almost on the same track, and everybody was really nervous. And so, some uh, news outlets went out and they just set up some cameras to look at these new features to see if it was going to hold up. Because I guess it'd be a great story if it didn't, and they'd have it on video. So, what I want to do is I want to show you. There's a just a quick little video of uh, Hurricane Gustav. There's no narration on this, so I'll provide it. 
the, 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 the ocean raised up quite a bit and it would push right against this wall. And that wall, it's hard to tell the scale here, it's about nine feet tall. And so you just have like the ocean raised up and the waves are like coming right over the top. And then this, this shot just kind of shows you what the buildings that were flooded, they, they were at the unfortunate of being on the wrong side of the wall. But uh, you want to make sure you're on the right side of the wall. That's just word for the future. But uh, you can just see it's about nine feet tall. The Man, the waves are right up there. And the good news is, we'll stop that there. The good news is, it helped. You guys can go ahead and turn it off. Oh, that is pretty compelling. Uh, it helped. And uh, thank God. Because, I mean, it could, have, it could have been really bad if that didn't happen. But when I saw that, it was about the time that I was spending time in Isaiah 30. I saw this on the news, and it just really struck me that, that I think that's a perfect illustration of what God was trying to say. Is I think what God was trying to say is that, that His grace and His mercy and His um, compassion are really like, like, the, like an ocean that's around us. That just it just it's all around us, and but what we've done, what we tend to do, it's very natural for us to do, just like the nation of Israel, is to build up walls, and we just keep his involvement out of our lives, and you know those walls in our lives, it could just be that you just want to do things the way you do, you could just you just want to do it your way, it could be, it could be maybe some bitterness that's built up in your life, and you just kind of shut everything out. It could be, I mean, it could be almost. All of us just have very different lives. It could be different kinds of things. It could be things that we're convinced of that are wrong that we don't want to give up. And we don't want to even go there. But what happens is these walls are up. But all we have to do, just like God said, is if we just surrender to Him and we go His way and we turn away from what we think and we just learn from Him, what happens is those walls fall down and immediately our lives are just overwhelmed with His grace and His mercy. And his compassion. That's the only thing that's been keeping it out. And that's what, uh, you know, as we, as we this morning, if we will just, uh, each one of us individually, just surrender to him and really accept the invitation to really walk with him and get to know him and learn from him and put into practice, we become convinced over time of the things that really make a difference in our lives really do make an impact. Now, as I as I wrap up this morning, I just want to, you know, um, I just want to give you a little story about Disneyland. Now, I bet you weren't expecting me to say that, but uh, but Disneyland is, you know, I just really liked it when I was a kid. I just loved going we to Disneyland. I lived in Northern California, so it was always a big deal when we got to go to Disneyland, about every two or three years. But I remember when I was a kid, one of the things I mean, there was, I liked everything about Disneyland, but one of the things I really liked was the cars. You know, the auto, Autotopia. You know, I got to drive the car. I had a real engine. You step on the gas and it would really go somewhere. And, oh, man, I just, I just had a ball with that. And uh, it was just a blast. Now, they had this little middle track, you know, so that you wouldn't die or anything. So if, if you're on an overpass and you do that, you don't die. It just kind of keeps you where you're supposed to be. And <clears throat> now, it's a whole different experience when you have kids of your own. And... You go to Disneyland, and they love Autotopia, or they want to try it out. And I remember I went, uh, Patrick was about about four years old, uh, a lot smaller than he is now. 
And they wouldn't let him go by himself, so I had to ride with him. So you get in there and you get buckled in. I went, let him drive. It's his ride. And so and I felt like that was a great idea. And so Patrick's in there. He, he gets behind the wheel. And, you know, as we start to drive off, he just got his hands by his side. Because, you know, he's four years old. He doesn't know how cars work. And we just, and so I had my foot on the gas pedal because he couldn't reach it. So I went, let's go, buddy. And I stepped on the gas. And for Patrick, it was more like, it was a passive experience of, it's all coming at me. <laughs> and, you know, immediately, you know, the wheel went cranked over and we start grating on the middle rail. And, you know, hey, bud, bud, you know, you can, uh, you can turn that wheel. It's okay. You know, it's like you just touch it and he would touch a little bit. Finally, he grabbed a hold of it and I turned it this way. But because when I let go, the momentum kept it going. And we went right over and we start going on the other side of the thing. And, we, man, we, we, I, I, those rails are tough. That's all I got to say because we're like grating on the rail. I think there were sparks coming out the back. I don't, I don't know. But the tires were turned like this and the car actually started hopping. And I, you're thinking, surely it'll cross his mind to do this. But you, when you're four years old, it's just a very different experience. So, and I, I was I was reflecting on that the other day, and I was thinking, what would it have been like if there wasn't a middle rail? Oh, oh my gosh, we'd be dead. I mean, I mean seriously, you there's water hazards. There's uh, there is overpasses. I wasn't making that up. You could actually launch onto cars below and. Uh, there's drop-offs. I mean, you could we could roll the thing, and it's not really designed for that. That'd just be crazy. But uh, one, just as just kind of to wrap this up, as you as you surrender to God, as we surrender to God, and we pursue knowing Him, and we learn from Him, and we put into practice those things, and become convinced over time. As we become convinced, what happens in our life is a middle rail starts to come up. A middle rail starts to come up in our lives. And so we're, we're driving our lives and we're trying to figure out what it is we're supposed to do. And then something, it might be something really happens and, and kind of frightens us or it might be like a scary thing comes up and we don't know what to do. And our first reaction, emotional reaction is to bail. And so we turn the wheel or we hit the rail of the things we're convinced of and we trust God through it. Uh, or any other things that are coming up as we, we hit that rail and, uh, and we continue to uh, really make progress. So I would really just encourage every one of us to uh, really surrender to him and really to walk with him. And uh, our lives would really count. Uh, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come up uh, before, uh, before we take the offering. And I want to go through just a few next steps. We usually each week just have a few next steps that you can take in light of the talk. And, uh, you know, it could be that God spoke to you something this morning and you're thinking, that's what I need to do. Well, well, that's what you need to do. I do that. A couple of suggestions would be, you know, you could, you could evaluate the things you're convinced of and the obstacles you face. Really kind of think through, you know, what are you facing right now and surrender to God and his ways? You could, you could accept the invitation and pursue knowing God through the scripture. You could begin really connecting with him. Uh, and you could uh, aggressively learn from God and put into practice what you learn. And, and look for people around you that are doing that and learn from them. Those are some things that you could do. So let me pray and we'll get back uh, to worship. Dear God, Father, I pray uh, for each one of us today that we would walk with you and that we would accept your invitation and that we would let no wall stand between us and the incredible offer that you've given us of involvement in our lives. 
God, I pray that you give us um, a life that really counts. In Jesus' name, amen.